0: How does it feel to breathe through someone else's lungs?
1: I almost can feel
0: the person's spirit.
1: Where is a spirit? Is it in your heart? Is it in your brain? Is it in your DNA? I mean, everybody has a spirit. Every breath I take, I'm breathing in through somebody else's DNA. And I think, you know, there's a piece of that person in me now. I'm aware of that. Weird. This is a podcast for the infinitely curious, where we share stories, invite others to share stories, and sometimes just talk for the hell of it. So take a few minutes out of your busy day, sit back and join our host, Steve Windus, batting the breeze. was really having trouble breathing felt like I was sucking air through a straw it was progressive in a way because I was 74 and I would smoked a pack of cigarettes a pack a day for 50 years I really wasn't surprised I expected that one day there would be a day of reckoning I just thought okay my time is um, you know finally I didn't quit I should have but I didn't and I have to pay the price
0: Meet Alistair Henry. That name might be familiar to you. We met him in episode 9, up in a First Nations settlement in Canada called Lutzel K. You might want to pop back and have a listen. This part of Alistair's story starts a few years later, at Christmas in 2018. He was living in London, Ontario, when he visited his doctor, to talk about his breathing issues. The outcome? A quickly arranged trip to a respirologist.
1: Who immediately put me on oxygen 24-7 uh, at 3 litres per minute because uh, that's what I needed. Because my oxygenation was like 70 instead of being in the 90s. If you can't get enough oxygen, you know, that affects all of your organs, your brain, everything. Everything. And that's not good, because uh, then you've got all this organ deterioration if you're not uh, breathing
0: adequately. The respirologist told Alistair that he had idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. It's a chronic disease where the lungs become scarred and breathing becomes increasingly difficult. Life expectancy? Between three and five years.
1: I said, well, you know, I need to know a little better than that. They said, well, your fibrosis is quite advanced, so bank on 18 months. So here we are, January 2019. 18 months pumps me at June 2020. So I looked at that as my best before date. I thought, "Okay, I've got 18 months. And um, the funny thing is, when you get a best before date... It changes everything. It changes your perspective on everything.
0: So, with a best before date of 18 months, what happens next? I thought, OK,
1: I want to go back to England. I want to say goodbye to my sister and my uncles and nephews and friends. And I want to take my children, my three children, and my three grandchildren with me and Candace, So there was eight of us. So we went for two weeks to Manchester because it's a base for Bolton where I was from and then down to Guernsey because my relatives live in Guernsey.
0: So the UK trip is a success but now behind them and Alistair's condition is worsening noticeably.
1: I'm needing to dial up my oxygen intake from 3 litres to 5 litres to 7 so I was about eight litres at Christmas time. And you know, I just accepted. Okay, I've got six months to live. We all we all have a best before date. We just don't know what it <laughs> is. But we all have one. And I'm fortunate I've been given one. So I know I've got six months to do what I need to do. But a lot of people don't, you know, they get injured or they lose their life in a traffic accident or some illness comes up, some cancer. Take takes them within two weeks.
0: The children weren't quite so prepared to be as sanguine as Alistair and they encouraged him to consider a lung transplant. He wasn't so sure and was thinking, I'm too old for a start and there's not enough lungs donated. You
1: know, they're going to give them to younger people. Anyway, I checked with my doctor and whatever and I learned that I was eligible because my health was good other than my lungs, you go on the waiting list and you have to live within two hours of the hospital. Fortunately, London is two hours, so I was allowed to live in London. If I lived in Windsor or somewhere else, I'd actually have to move and live in Toronto, waiting for the call.
0: There's many a slip twixt the cup and the lip. And so it is for many people on organ donation waiting lists. It's just part of the deal. There's going to be some ups and downs along the way. There certainly were for Alistair. The recognition that he needed a double lung transplant was one of them. Double trouble. The first call that a donor organ may be ready for transplant came in the July
1: they said, yes, we have some lungs. Come on to the hospital immediately. Well, I had a bag packed. I just grabbed it and went up to the hospital. It's a very, very invasive surgery, as you can imagine. And I thought, you know, that's it. I might just not. I'm, um, You know, at my age, I'm not 40 or 50. I was 74. 75, actually, by then, because I had a birthday in June. Anyway, I got in there. They prepped me and everything, and then... Uh, Unfortunately, the lungs weren't good enough. So they said, we have, we've cancelled the surgery, so go home. Well, sorry, but, you know, it's better we do this. Then I came up again in August. Same same deal. Uh, the lungs weren't good enough.
0: Unbelievably, in the September, for a third time, Alistair's hospital trip came to nothing.
1: Everything looked great. Surgery was scheduled for 6.30 in the morning. I went to sleep, but at four o'clock they woke me up and said, just to let you know we've cancelled the surgery. The lungs just aren't good enough. So, go back to sleep and you'll be going home in the morning.
0: The build-ups and subsequent let-downs are tiring, stressful. But just as Alistair was packing up to go home after breakfast, he was interrupted to be told...
1: Another set of lungs has just become available. They look really good, so don't go home. Give us an hour to check them out. And they came back in an hour and said, everything looks great. Surgery is going to be at 4.30 this afternoon. Big 12-hour surgery came out, and that's uh, over two years ago now. And I think to myself, you know, had I not been in the hospital prepped, maybe they would have given these lungs to somebody else and uh, I might never have got the lungs.
0: You weren't on that waiting list for very long, were you? Sounds to me like you were quite lucky.
1: Yeah, I'm quite lucky. Obviously, the lungs, it has to be the right blood type. It has to be the right size. And I think because I was in hospital prepped, ready and the lungs became available i think they just said hey let's give them to this guy he's here now so very very i've been very lucky in life steve one way or another for some reason weird i have been a very lucky lucky person i went on the waiting list in june of uh, 2020 and uh, in september i had a double lung transplant
0: of course alistair's new lease of life was dependent on the generosity of the donor. I asked Alistair if he knew who the donor was.
1: Well, this is it. In Canada, organ donations are anonymous. Uh, I don't know whose lungs I've got, and the, the donor family don't know who got the lungs. I did write a letter to the donor family, and they wrote back and said, well, we're very pleased, and he would be. Now, the rest of it was retracted, you know the name and whatever but they left the he in there so it was a male i have a sense it was a much younger person i mean they weren't looking for a 75 year old to donate his lungs the lungs come from whoever i got a feeling my lungs are like from a 25 year old because they feel so good (laughs) so amazing
0: what would you say to the donor if you could speak to them
1: I'd really like them to know who got the lungs because I'd like to tell them the things that I've done with the new lungs. One of them was writing my book. I started a book in 2016 and didn't get a chance to finish it, but I did finish it with my new lungs. And now I feel so excited about it because uh, people are reading my story. The story wouldn't exist had I not had the transplant.
0: That book, incidentally, is called The Soldier and the Orphan. Check it out in the show notes. So what has the organ donation meant for Alistair?
1: Well, you know, receiving the gift of life, it meant that I would be here to experience and enjoy more of my children and grandchildren's life, to see Kiefer... Uh, graduate, Uh, he's doing a master's, he wants to be a prof and he wants to be an English teacher Beckett's going to go to university next year it would be the, the fact that I'm still here, able to witness and be part of their lives
0: The first successful human organ transplant was carried out in 1954, a kidney transplanted from one identical twin to the other in Boston, Massachusetts. Despite this, globally 1.2 million people a year die from kidney failure. The greatest global problem relating to organ transplants is a shortage of donor organs. Demand far exceeds supply. The Council of Europe estimates that worldwide, 41,000 patients receive a transplant each year, but 48,000 new patients register on waiting lists. The problem is easy to see. I asked Alistair if he felt that organ donation in Canada was becoming more accepted. A lot of people
1: don't get Organs, you know, they just die waiting on the wait list, waiting for uh, organs. So I felt very, very fortunate, very blessed. The only thing I think what is happening in Canada anyway, we're becoming less religious, more secular. And I think the resistance to organ donations was religious. A lot of people said, no, that's a desecration of the body. I want to be put in the ground whole. I don't want to be missing a pancreas and missing my eyeballs and missing my lungs. But I think little by little in Canada, as we've become more secular, uh, people are more open now to uh, organ
0: donations. The Council of Europe also suggests that a single donor can save eight lives through organ donation and improve up to 100 lives along the way. But it's good to remember that behind the statistics lie real people. People who have been given extended life because of organ donation. Statistics, politics, religious beliefs all help to distract from the fact that at its very core, organ donation helps people, like Alistair, to live longer, to spend more time with loved ones. What could possibly be wrong with that? As Alistair puts it,
1: Don't take your organs to heaven. Heaven knows we need them here on earth. If you've enjoyed Batting the Breeze with us, please share the podcast with a friend and perhaps leave a review to help new listeners find our show. Check out show notes and other great stories at battingthebreeze.com. By the way, if you have stories that you think would be informative, amusing or thought-provoking, emotionally stirring, or perhaps would deliver a message of hope or inspiration, then why not head over to battingthebreeze.com and let us know. Thank you for listening.